welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm recording this on the last day of January 2019, coming from my office here in Mount Hope, Tennessee. Uh, thanks to Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy for supporting this podcast. Uh, I hope wherever you are, and if you're in the United States, chances are it was a cold, uh, downright frigid morning for you, thanks to the polar vortex uh, coming down. So, Today we're going to talk about kind of a bread and butter toxicity, really what I call the hallmark or a hallmark toxicity of chemotherapy, and that's mucositis and stomatitis. Uh, it's kind of a, a basic topic, I guess. You might say this is more geared towards, towards students, early learners, um, but we're going to talk about kind of what causes this, how often it happens, and some, some methods to prevent and treat this. So here is uh, the definition of mucositis, and this is from... Uh, JAMA Oncology's patient page, which is a really nice resource. It's a, it's a one-page written in layman's language for patients. So if if you work in clinic or you see a lot of patients, um, you know, these are nice maybe to have on hand to give to patients as, as teaching materials. Uh, they usually have nice images. So this is how, uh, how they define mucositis. Quote, inflammation and damage of the mucosal membranes uh, lining the mouth and other parts of the GI tract. Remember, mucositis is going to happen not just in the mouth, but all throughout the GI tract. Uh, Stedman's Medical Dictionary defines stomatitis as inflammation of the mucous membrane of the mouth characterized by small ulcers, ulcers covered by a grayish exudate and surrounded um, by a longer halo. So in general, you can think of these as ulcers, uh, inflammation of the mouth, although it's not just uh, you know in, in inflammation or inflammatory nature as you might think by the, the ITIS, the itis at the end there. But there's a, you know, a lot going on uh, into what causes this, and we'll get into that uh, in a second. Generally put, I'll give you some harder numbers in a little bit, but 20, 40, 20 to 40% of patients receiving traditional chemo uh, will have mucositis in some kind. About 80% if you're getting um, a conditioning regimen prior to a bone marrow transplant or hematopoietic stem cell transplant. 80% of those folks are going to have mucositis, and pretty much everyone that's receiving radiation therapy for head and neck cancer will have this. And you can see this with tyrosine kinase inhibitors as well uh, and mTOR inhibitors. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, the terms mucositis and stomatitis are really used interchangeably, but stomatitis is probably more appropriate for mTOR inhibitor uh, induced inflammation. So simply put, what causes this is chemo kills rapidly dividing cells, as does radiation, and that includes, you know, our epithelial cells that line uh, all our mucosal membranes from mouth all the way down to the other end of the GI tract. Uh, so as you give chemo, radiation, killing those rapidly dividing cells, you'll, you're killing, uh, you know, maybe not, uh, this is, again, the simple way to think of this, you're not killing uh, the, the epithelial cells that you could touch on your mouth or uh, or throughout your GI tract, but the reinforcement cells that are rapidly dividing to take the place of those epithelial cells as they slough off. That's kind of how I think about it. And that's how I explain it. And it th this fits with the basic uh, presentation of mucositis. It tends to happen, it's going to happen about 10 days after chemo, just like that's when you start to see your, your myelosuppression and healing tends to happen by three weeks later. Same thing uh, with bone marrow suppression, how you know we expect counts to recover about three weeks later with most traditional chemotherapy. Of course, there are exceptions. There's a bit more to this, though, if you really dig into it. So Stephen T. Saunas has written a, um, a paper in uh, Nature Clinical Reviews of Cancer, and this is back from 2004. So it's a bit old, but, but in this paper, uh, there are five phases described. First being initiation, and this is direct injury, immediate 
from the chemo or from the radiation. So I think of this as, as damage done directly to the epithelial cells uh, directly on the surface of the oral mucosa. Now, there is nothing happening to the patient at this point that he or she can feel. So this is asymptomatic. And the next phase is the primary damage response. This is killing those rapidly dividing epithelial cells. Uh, so you're starting to see damage to the epithelial basement membrane um, you know, underneath at the very bottom of our epithelial tissue of the epidermis. Now, this sets off kind of an inflammatory response that results in stage three or phase three, which is signal amplification. So you get increases in activity of tumor necrosis factor alpha, MAP kinase pathway, uh, cyclooxygenase or COX-2, as well as some other things. And ultimately these lead to an increase in MMPs or metalloproteinases, which break down collagen and other connective tissue and this is now you can start to see how we're going to get an ulcer, how we're going to get, for lack of a better word, a hole in our oral mucosal. And that leads us to phase four, which is ulceration. And this is where we get symptomatic. So these first three phases are leading up to the ulceration phase. This is where patients are symptomatic. And patients will describe this as, um, you know, when they have mucositis as, you know, quote, feels like a food-induced burn. So imagine you know, you have eaten that first dose of pizza, first bite of pizza, you know, first dose of pizza. Uh, <laughs> um, for some of us, you know, you should be prescribed pizza. But that first bite of pizza that you take, how it burns, you know, the, the, the hard upper palate of your mouth, and it, you know, it burns for maybe a day or two for a while. So patients describe it as something like that whenever they eat. Uh, and that leads to a lot of the complications that you see with mucositis because patients don't feel like eating because food burns. Certainly, you know, hard food like potato chips can, can damage uh, if you chew too vigorously even a, a, you know, a healthy and intact uh, mouth. So these patients often have to eat soft foods, things like that. But this ulceration, you know, right away there's a loss, or not right away, but you have a loss of the mucosal barrier. So that allows an easy entry of pathogens into the bloodstream, and this can be a source of neutropenic fever, bacteremia, whether it's bacterial, fungus, or even viral. And because these ulcers are not the normal uh, defense, the normal mucosal barrier, it's easy for them to be colonized. So it's very common that you'll see a white plaque form. So you have thrush or candida that's formed on, on, these, uh, on these surfaces. And then the fifth phase is healing. And again, that typically happens about three weeks after the initial insult. So let's, let's talk a bit more about how, how common this is. So for, let's say, full fox, traditional full fox, you're talking you know, 50% of patients maybe, and there's a, I'm taking this from a paper that summarized this. Um, so uh, so these, these are all been cited. So about 50% of full fox patients, 50% uh, of patients receiving Everolimus will have some kind of mucositis. Uh, cisplatin 5-FU and radiation for, um, for uh, nasopharyngeal cancer. So this is like, you know, 100 milligrams per meter squared of cisplatin. Pretty big dose of cisplatin. Uh, 100%. Mucositis. Everyone's getting mucositis, and about 30% of those patients, it's a grade three or four mucositis, meaning it's so severe that they have to be hospitalized either for IV fluids or for IV pain medications. For uh, for AC, followed by paclitaxel, kind of the go-to breast cancer regimen here in the states, you're talking only less than five percent here, which is surprising uh, that I see this see this side as such. Now, FAC, which is five FU 
plus a lower dose of doxorubicin and cyclophosphamide than the traditional AC regimen, you're seeing 90%. And that's a bolus dose of 5-FU. So you can see how that bolus 5-FU really drastically increases the risk of mucositis. CHOP, you're looking at, say, a 40%. Let's just round up and call it 50% patients having some uh, mucositis. And where you really see bad mucositis, really severe outside the setting of radiation therapy, are the conditioning regimens for, for bone marrow transplant. So like the melphalan for myeloma regimen, you're talking, you know, 50% of patients are having grade 3 or 4 um, mucositis for beam, which is used for uh, you know a lot of for many hematologic malignancies, 40 42% grade three and four. So roughly 40 to 50% of patients getting a myeloablative stem cell transplant are going to need you know a PCA. They're going to need IV morphine to control their pain because it's going to be so bad. So it's pretty severe. Uh, not just the pain, how that impacts quality of life, but how that affects uh, nutrition and dietary intake, um, and how. Uh, that, that has to be has to be managed and the impact that has on patients with regards to weight loss and just quality of life not being able to eat and drink. So that brings us to what do we do about this? Uh, well, we have some guidelines. So uh, MASC, M-A-S-C-C, and I-S-O-O have guidelines from cancer in 2014. And uh, this is the Multinational Association of Support, Supportive Care and Cancer, that's M-A-S-C-C, and the International Society of Oral Oncology, that's I-S-O-O. So there are a whole bunch of things that they go through in the guidelines, things that uh, are recommended because there's good evidence, things that they suggest because there's okay evidence, things they recommend against and suggest against. I'm not going to go through the whole article, of course, uh, but I just want to mention some basic things, generally how we treat this and maybe how we can do better as, a, as an oncology community. And I'm focusing mostly on oral mucositis. There's another section about just general non-oral gastrointestinal mucositis. So the, the first, the easiest thing is basic oral hygiene. So, so patients should, should brush their teeth regularly, they should floss, and, and a mouth rinse or mouthwash is in here. Now there's not enough evidence to suggest one over the other, things like that. Uh, generally these are not things that are tested in randomized controlled clinical trials. Um, but there are lots of different types of these mouthwashes used for prevention of mucositis as well as for treatment of mucositis-induced pain. So maybe, you know, what what I remember compounding in pharmacy school was called Miles Magic Mouthwash. In other parts of the country, it's Mary's Magic Mouthwash, and everyone calls it a different thing, and it's got different ingredients, but it's some kind of combination of tetracycline, hydrocortisone, diphenhydramine, and nystatin. And sometimes there's, you know, Maalox in there. Sometimes there's not the tetra Everyone's got a little different recipe. Not great evidence that works or not. Uh, a lot of folks are not really in favor of, of throwing tetracyclines on these on these folks. The nystatin really tastes poor, really bad. Um, so uh, that's one that people use a lot. Uh, another one that I see people uh, use is a viscous lidocaine um, mouthwash. Uh, this is one in my training we called one to one to one solution, which was really a pain to find in the the order entry section in the pharmacy system, which was like one part viscous lidocaine, one part diphenhydramine, one part Maalox. Um, and you know, if you're trying to prevent infection, the one with an antibiotic and an antifungal makes sense. If you're trying to treat pain, the one with viscous lidocaine maybe makes sense. Um, but in general. One of the easiest things that patients can do for just basic oral hygiene is a salt and soda rinse, which is one quart of water 
which is a quarter of a gallon for those of you who are uh, not in the States. Uh, one teaspoon of baking soda in that and one teaspoon of salt. So something that every patient's gonna have on their hand. Uh, rinse that around for a few minutes and spit it out. Just basic oral hygiene. Uh, that's the easiest thing. If you're gonna do something that doesn't have great evidence to support that, that's probably the best thing to do uh, as far as basic oral oral hygiene. Now once patients develop mucositis, if you're worried about, you know, treating thrush, you probably would not use a nice statin rinse. You probably would use something systemic, for example. So that's the first thing, basic oral hygiene. The second thing that I'll, I'll mention here, and this is only for those receiving high-dose chemo as a conditioning regimen for a stem cell transplant or total body radiation, is uh, a keratinocyte growth factor, uh, which is palifermin brand name in the States, Kepavance. And this is given in, uh, I think it's like 60, uh, 60 per kilo, um, uh, for a couple days prior to the, the conditioning regimen, this helps decrease both the incidence and severity of mucositis. There are also data in head neck cancer patients uh, supporting this, but uh, the guidelines pretty much recommend this for everyone uh, that's, that qualifies in that, that stem cell transplant conditioning regimen category or receiving total body irradiation as part of your conditioning regimen. So that's not going to apply to most of you listening, or if you are listening, you already know that because you practice in a transplant center. Um, another cheap and easy thing is cryotherapy. This is sucking on ice chips or, or something like a popsicle. Um, and the, the theory here is that if you get the oral mucosa to be very cold, then you're going to cause vasoconstriction. So less chemotherapy is going to get to the cells of the epithelial basement Mem membrane. There'll be less damage. Uh, and there is good data showing this decreases the incidence of severity of mucositis with bolus 5-FU. We don't use a whole lot of bolus 5-FU. We use a lot more infusional 5-FU for things like Fulfox. Uh, and there's some lower quality evidence as well for cryotherapy for malfolan. So certainly, you know, chewing or sucking on ice chips is something that is pretty cheap. Uh, it's safe unless the patient already got oxaliplatin, for example, probably wouldn't want to do it. Um, and uh, because, you know, there's really not a downside. Now, it can be hard for patients to tolerate sucking on ice chips while, you know, for 30 minutes during a chemo infusion. And I saw a physician on Twitter recently share um, using um, basically like a, 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 t a tooth guard, but really what it was were the like Invisalign braces that people use over their teeth. Um, so kind of a plastic barrier of the teeth so that they don't have to have uh, the ice on their teeth uh, for, for people whose teeth may be sensitive to cold temperatures and they can still have, have the ice chips uh, in and around their, their mouth and oral mucosa. So that's cryotherapy. Uh, there is some suggestion that zinc and doxpin mouthwashes can help uh, the zinc with preventing uh, mucositis a little bit or decreasing the incidence and doxpin helping for pain. Um, and then a, a unique one that's very drug-specific I'll talk about is Everolimus, an mTOR inhibitor that, you know, five years ago was, you know, the bell of the ball uh, when added to uh, hormonal therapy for breast cancer. Now, with the, the cyclin D kinase 4 and 6 inhibitors really falling out of the way, um, but mTOR inhibitors are used for many other disease states and cause a very significant, or a very specific, I should say is a better term, a very specific type of stomatitis, and this is where I, what I think of of stomatitis, which is not just inflammation uh, anywhere in the mouth, but in areas of kind of high pressure or strain. So kind of, you know, at the bottom of the mouth and next to the gum, where somebody may be uh, chewing a lot of food, or maybe where their tongue is hitting the roof of the mouth uh, while talking. So, so certain areas of kind of high traffic in the oral mucosa is kind of what I think of as stomatitis. So there was a randomized study. Um, it's called the Swish study, 
uh, nicely defined. Looking at dexamethasone mouthwash, 0 0.5 milligrams for 5 mil uh, when they started that, and that decreased the incidence and severity of that. Now, that's really focusing on preventing mucositis stomatitis. Once they get mucositis stomatitis, uh, if it's really severe, so our grade three, grade four mucositis, these patients are gonna be admitted to the hospital because they're not gonna be able to drink and maintain uh, adequate uh, oral intake, and they're gonna, t they're gonna end up dehydrated, so they're gonna be admitted for IV fluids and, you know, opioids. They're gonna need pain medication. Uh, and oftentimes, it'll be like a patient-controlled analgesia uh, with, with an opioid. Um, morphine liquid potentially as well, uh, a little swish of that and then swallow so you get maybe a local but also a systemic effect probably more importantly. Uh, now this is not in the guidelines but my personal preference and I think this makes sense is if you're going to, if patients can swallow an oral dosage form uh, that you probably going to want to use opioids um, and you'd want to use a, a plain Jane opioid like immediate release morphine that sort of a thing. Uh, but I would shy away from using you know, a hydrocodone or oxycodone with a acetaminophen combination. Because what's gonna happen while these patients are mucositis? They're probably neutropenic. And if you're taking you know, a, a hydrocodone acetaminophen uh, around the clock every six hours, that Tylenol component, that acetaminophen or paracetamol component might mask a fever, which we need to see if, they're having a, if these patients are having a fever so we can start broad spectrum antibiotics for neutropenic fever. Uh, I mentioned in the pathophysiology that there's upregulation or an increased activity of COX-2. So NSAIDs might have a, a beneficial role in prevention or treatment. At the same time, these patients are going to have their ulcerative phase of mucositis. They're very likely to be thrombocytopenic, and NSAIDs have that antiplatelet activity that could increase the risk of bleeding, and therefore maybe they should be uh, shied away from. But at most centers, uh, patients uh, after their bone marrow transplant and they have that severe mucositis probably talking about uh, you know, like a morphine PCA, which the guidelines do uh, recommend or suggest. So this is a basic bread and butter supportive care topic. Uh, this is something that uh, patients should understand and be counseled about going into this uh, and have some information on it. And certainly things patients can do at home from a self-care standpoint, good oral hygiene. We know that makes a difference uh, because patients who have poor oral hygiene uh, have a, a higher likelihood of having uh, mucositis and severe mucositis. So, so brushing their teeth, taking care of their, their, their mouth, salt and soda rinses potentially can help. Um, and then uh, be aware that this is likely to happen and be prepared to manage it. That's all that I have for you guys today. Thank you for listening. Uh, it's really great uh, that so many of you have started listening to this, so, so thanks. I'd encourage you to, to find us. Uh, you can listen to us on iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher. Uh, but go into the iTunes store, uh, give us a five-star rating, uh, give us a nice review. Tell us what you'd like to hear more about. Feel free uh, to let me know. You can contact me on Twitter, personally, at FarmDetanib, or the, the show itself, at OncoFarmPod. Uh, you can also find uh, the podcast and myself on Instagram under the handle OncoFarmPod. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you all a little further down the road.